Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hi, this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Ever Told You. It's the most consumerist time of the year here in the U.S. I myself went on a nine-hour, ultimately successful search for a hot deal on a PS4. I got made fun of a lot, but I was successful. And it reminded me of my time working on Black Friday, um, the one year I was in charge of spotting shoplifters. That was my entire job. And uh, there was this rumored kleptomaniac who was a woman known about them all to be a notorious shoplifter. And if you didn't know, most people that are diagnosed with kleptomania are women, and the history of the term is so intertwined with consumerism and wealth and women. You're going to learn all about this frequently misunderstood condition in this classic Sminty episode. Please enjoy. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Um, Something interesting about our topic today is the link, the gendered link between women and stealing stuff, which, call me ignorant, Kristen, but I really did not know that the origins of the concept of kleptomania lay with ladies. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Uh, first, so let's just offer an umbrella view of shoplifting in the United States, because a lot of people do it. A lot. So many people, in fact, that it costs U.S. retailers $10 billion a year, but they only catch about 24% of them. But among all of those shoplifters, very few would qualify as kleptomaniacs. Yeah, there is a difference between just somebody who shoplifts or steals stuff and an actual kleptomaniac. The word itself comes from the Greek kleptine to steal, 
Although it was first called clopomania and was coined in 1816 by André Mathay, a Swiss doctor who defined it as both a desire for theft and theft without need. And this very sensitive doctor used it to describe thieves who impulsively stole unneeded items out of quote-unquote pure insanity. Yeah, and then a little while later in 1840, a pair of French doctors later changed the word to kleptomania to describe behaviors characterized by irresistible involuntary urges. And the two points about theft without need and the involuntary urge is going to be something really important when it becomes applied specifically to women because kleptomania is often thought of as a woman's disease because two-thirds of diagnosed kleptomaniacs are women. Right. And we should look at this, as we have pointed out in other issues of the mind that we have talked about before, women tend to present with more psychological issues like this because they tend to go seek actual mental health help more than men do. Yeah, some wonder whether there is a gender bias at work in terms of uh, that diagnosis of kleptomania more for women since women who steal tend to get a psychiatric evaluation, whereas men who steal tend to get prison time. Well, we are very delicate flowers, so thank God. Um, Anyway, uh, kleptomania, it turns out, we're right when we say that it's not necessarily that more women than men experience kleptomania. We both get it, but we get it differently. This is coming from a 2008 study in CNS Spectrums. They looked uh, at 95 adults from 2001 to 2007 with kleptomania. Both men and women showed substantial symptoms But women were more likely to be married, have a later age at shoplifting onset, steal household items and hoard those stolen items, and have an eating disorder. They were less likely, however, to steal electronics than men and less likely to have another impulse control disorder. So those researchers concluded that when it comes to kleptomania, that they really need to take gender into account in terms of devising prevention and treatment strategies. But... I mean, it's almost impossible to disentangle gender and women from kleptomania because if we go back in time to when the term was being developed and passed around, it was something that developed as an answer to the rise of shoplifting specifically among women. And the sources that we're about to cite are Tammy C. Whitlock's Crime, Gender, and Consumer Culture in the 19th Century England and an essay in there called Solving the Problem of the Criminal Consumer, Women and Kleptomania. And then the book by Elaine S. Abelson, When Ladies Go A-Thieving, which I love the title of that book. Sounds like we should write a song about it. (laughs) Indeed. But so these, these sources talk about the rise of not only shoplifting, but kleptomania in particular, as kind of a symptom of the times. Uh, a lot of things, a lot of conditions were being medicalized that previously had you would have just gotten hanged for. But so let's look at what's going on. We've got the Industrial Revolution, right? So goods were being made in bulk in factories, not at home. This leads to the rise of the consumer culture and the middle class who suddenly has a lot of leisure time. Can you tell that I'm glossing over a lot of stuff? Well, so during this time, women are still responsible for doing most of the consuming and acquiring goods for the family. But with this rise in new goods and, you know, bulk items, you have these new department stores or the precursors to department stores that offered a kind of freedom in this titillating environment of of items. 
So how do we explain at this time women, these middle-class women who are well-off, how do we explain them stealing? Well, we do that in the language of physical and mental illness. Yeah, early in the 19th century, um, there was an idea that this compulsive shoplifting only affected women. And why? Because certainly had to do with uterine disease or premenstrual tension. That was, I mean, those were the explanations at the time. And uh, there was a quote talking about how it began as a genderless, if not classless ailment, but then the kleptomania diagnosis slowly developed throughout the 19th century to become the favored explanation for cases of female middle-class shoplifting because it would have been so scandalous for a middle-class woman to be sent to jail as a common criminal. So if you were a poor woman at the time and you got caught stealing, then you were just stealing and you got sent to jail because you were a thief. But if you are, were a woman of any means whatsoever, then you were simply being <laughs> sort of uh, compelled by your crazy uterus <laughs> to steal something. And so you needed medical treatment, not prison time. And for Jane Austen fans out there, her aunt was one of the first big shot shoplifting cases that affected because she was a middle-class woman and she was caught stealing a spool of lace from a store. And at the time, kleptomania really was not a, a term that had been widely circulated. But after the fact, she became labeled as a kleptomaniac because why else would a woman of her means and standing steal a spool of lace? And speaking of lace, I mean, that was a hot commodity back in the day. These middle-class women were doing their darndest to get their hands on uh, expensive silks, ribbons, like we said, lace. They weren't going and stealing, like, a cantaloupe. I mean, they were stealing, like, things to make themselves look fancy. And it wasn't too hard to conceal those items because they were wearing so many clothes. So many clothes. That they could literally just sneak it up into their bustle or something like that and trot out of the store. Um, and the, the fact that there was new plate glass window technology that facilitated these large storefront displays for the very first time, and you had merchandise out on the floor in a way that it had never been before. And so all of a sudden you just have this, this smorgasbord of things that mm -hmm. women could take. But the, the whole shoplifting craze portrayed, was portrayed as you know, an affliction of these mad women because it was usually wealthier women who probably could have afforded to buy that spool of lace. Right, but this whole, this whole diagnosis itself of kleptomania is so... Weighted. It's so, it has so much baggage and is so heavily value laden because it says so much about the views of women themselves. It's not just about stealing stuff, it's about there is something wrong with women. Women are inferior. There must be something wrong with them to make them take the stuff that they don't need. A poor woman, sure, well, she's poor. She, she needs, needs to it. steal that stuff. What, what could possibly explain? A wealthier woman stealing. Well, it's simply the overstimulation at the bazaars, doctors would say. Uh, because, again, it was very fashionable to be seen at these places. This mm -hmm. was the era when you have the rise of conspicuous consumption and you want to look good. And being seen out shopping was a sign of your class. And so doctors were thinking, well, I mean, these women are, are, are leaving the home and they're just seeing all these things and they don't know what to do. And, of course, in the 1910s, Freudians would link it to female sexual 
depression because why else would a woman steal but to fill some barren hole in her womb <laughs> with lace. With lace. A lacy womb. I love it. But yeah, and they, they did. They linked it to sexual desire, too. Like, well, they're just acquiring and acquiring and acquiring because maybe they're not acquiring at home. And it's also interesting to see how our perception of kleptomania, what drives it, changes over time. After World War I, for instance, it was considered a sign of acting out to soothe mass trauma. Because that's a hallmark of kleptomania. You don't actually need right. the things. Stealing is different from kleptomaniac shoplifting. Mm -hmm. Because, for instance, with the case of Winona Ryder in 2002, when she got caught stealing from Saks Fifth Avenue, a lot of the garments that she had, she had carelessly cut the tag out. So there were holes in the clothes. She was never going to wear them. She just got the thrill, apparently, out of stealing them. So a clinician said. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I This is another topic, Kristen, where I'm like, that's that's not me. N none of this has ever applied to me. It did, and it did once. Yeah? Were you a little kleptomaniac? I Literally, a little kleptomaniac. And I only did it once, and the shame was enough to make sure that I never did it again. I My parents would take me to this like neighborhood nanny babysitter person sometimes, and... There was one day where I was leaving. My parents had come to get me right as another family was dropping off their little girl for an overnight stay. And her overnight bag carelessly just left there in the hallway. And I walked by and I saw this little stuffed bunny and I was like, well, that's going to be mine now. And so I took it and it was like this little bunny that I had no need for. It wasn't even that cute. Like it was in a little ballerina costume. Oh God, if that little girl is listening who's a grown up woman now, I'm really, really sorry. But I never used it. I never played with it. I hated to look at it. I just threw it to the bottom of my toy chest. And it wasn't until I think I was cleaning out the basement at my parents' house like years later that I found it and was like, oh God, trash. I just didn't even want to look at it again. Oh no, because you were so I was so, so ashamed. ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. I was I th I think I was always too too terrified to steal anything. Um but because it was so initially associated with women, and even still, I feel like if you if you say the word kleptomania, people will say, oh, Winona Ryder, or just something that women tend to do, because it was so gendered from the get-go. There was an interesting thing that happened in the 1970s, and this is coming from an article published in The New Inquiry talking about kleptomania as a woman's disease, why we think of it that way. And the author talks about how in the 70s, it was no longer treated as a disorder, but as an ideology, saying that the hip, rebellious, typically male shoplifter had been invented both in real life and on the page. And uh, the author goes on to talk about how books like Saul Bellow's Augie Marsh portray these almost romantic shoplifters. Like Augie Marsh would always steal books. And and what a, what a wonderful thing for a young man to do. You know, he just steals books because he wants to read. Um, whereas, you know, a woman stealing clothes is, is deranged with a wandering womb or something. <laughs> um, but she goes on to talk about how a New York, there was a New York Times article that came out a couple years ago citing the most commonly stolen authors. And it says, quote, it's mostly younger men stealing the books. They think it's an existential rite of passage to steal their homeboy. Um, so that's just a, a, an interesting example of how it's applied differently to men because I, I guess because it's thought of as, as just something that women do just out of frivolity almost.
Right. And one recent pop culture reference to kleptomania, especially the term just getting thrown around, was the bling ring, which is has been made into a movie. Um, these were five teens who stole more than $3 million in jewelry and designer goods from young Hollywood kids like Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, Megan Fox, etc., uh, between October 2008 to August 2009. And one of the teens, Nick Prugo, claimed that it was peer pressure, that he really just wanted to keep his friends, one of whom was Rachel Lee, who he said was the ringleader. So then Rachel was described by another one of the teens as a klepto freak. But as we'll get into when we talk about the definitions and as we've talked about a little bit, is Rachel Lee really a kleptomaniac? Not really. If we look at the definition... Because she tended to be doing it out of just revenge or boredom or an obsession with celebrity fashion. Yeah, she wanted those, the clothes that they had so badly, at least in the way that uh, Prugo told it to Vanity Fair writer Nancy Jo Sales. And um, it reminded me, though, really quickly, uh, when I was reading When Ladies Go (laughs) A-Thieving, my note is ye old bling ring. (laughs) Because talking about in the 19th century, it seems like the exact same thing as was driving Rachel Lee and the other members of the Bling Ring uh, in 2008 and 2009 when they were going on their thieving rampage. Uh, In the 19th century, for the female shoplifter, drapery firms remained the favorite haunts, and women continued to steal items like lace and ribbon, which were expensive and easily purloined, and the bolder shoplifters favored the expensive silks, which could be quickly and profitably liquidated. And also, one of the largest categories for theft at the time for which women were uh, actually sent out to Australian penal colonies was the theft of wearing apparel. So it's the same kind of thing where we're stealing other people's clothes. Yeah, being obsessed with a look or an image. But again, though, that question, it would Rachel Lee and similar bling ringers actually be kleptomaniacs? Because there is uh, that irresistible urge to steal items that they don't generally need. All of the kids came from well-off families, well-off enough that they certainly could buy their own clothes. Right, yeah, and I mean, the definition of kleptomania, like we said, is that irresistible urge to steal items that you generally don't need, but they weren't doing the other hallmark, which is stealing items of little value. These items literally were very valuable. (laughs) Including just wads of cash that they would find laying around sometimes. Um, The Mayo Clinic describes it as an impulse control disorder, usually under the umbrella of things like pyromania, trichotillomania, which is when you compulsively eat your own hair, uh, compulsive gambling. It's something where you cannot resist the temptation to perform an act even though you know that it's harmful to yourself or somebody else. And it's usually spontaneous and also in public places. And that spontaneity makes me think that a clinician would not diagnose the bling ring with kleptomania because they planned it out pretty carefully. I mean, they might be kind of like celebrity obsessive. Sure. um, Or envious of a certain lifestyle, but I don't know that they would be uh, quite the same as a true kleptomaniac. And let's not forget that, again, this is not the same thing as shoplifting. Fewer than 5% of shoplifters are actual compulsive kleptomaniacs. Yeah, and even though there has been no epidemiological study on kleptomania, which is kind of surprising considering how casually we tend to throw out the term, um, some clinicians suggest that at least 06 
percent of the general population would fall under the kleptomaniac category. Um, but that shame and embarrassment that's often associated with the kleptomania cycle of stealing, and then like you did, Caroline, you felt terrible about it and you were embarrassed. Um, some think that maybe because of that, it's underestimated because no one wants to report it. No one wants to fess up unless they actually got caught in the act and had to. Right. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Well, it's interesting, though. I mean, there is that cycle of symptoms, but it's kleptomania is actually linked to a lot of things. Like we said, it's an impulse control disorder that does also have links to eating disorders, but it also is linked to depression. And Researchers have found that a lot of times this the theft itself is used to alleviate depression symptoms. And patients with kleptomania that they've studied do report high lifetime rates of depression that usually ends up preceding that behavior. Well, it makes sense because it's usually a three-part process where a kleptomaniac will feel this increased tension where they, they have to steal something. And so then they do it and they initially feel gratification, pleasure, like, oh, they got away with it, okay. But then the ga- the guilt and shame set in, and it starts back all over again, which certainly would play into depressive symptoms and probably uh, feed depression. 
And considering that pattern of the tension leading up to it and the initial gratification, even though you know you're doing something that's probably not good for you, kleptomania is often related to addictive behaviors. And some people think that stealing triggers a dopamine release, which is why you feel so good. It's the same way where if you are an alcoholic, for instance, there's that tension leading up to you getting that first drink and then... You feel that release once you finally become intoxicated, then afterwards, the guilt and shame. Right. And there is also an overarching theory, which I I had never heard of uh, before doing this research. There's a theory that it could have something to do with problematic connections between different parts of the brain talking to each other, and that possibly people with head injuries could damage circuits between the orbital and frontal lobes of the brain, causing low blood flow and, like we said, bad connections. So there could be like an actual physical reason, too, that this is happening. Yeah, because the parts of the brain that they think might be affected or dysfunctional in a way are the parts involving information exchange and then the part of the brain, the limbic system that controls our moods and desires. So it's like something is breaking down between um, what we're being compelled to do and what we know we should not do and then how we are deriving uh, senses of satisfaction and things like that. Right. And if you look at the comorbid condition rates, uh, other impulse control disorders make up 20 to 46 percent of co-occurring conditions. Substance use, 23 to 50 percent. Mood disorders, 45 to 100 percent of people presenting with kleptomania. And a lot of times, too, this is something that starts at a very young age, even though it might take a while for someone to get caught. It's not uncommon for the compulsive thieving to begin at an age as young as five. And Terrence Shulman, who's the founder and director of the Shulman Center for Compulsive Theft, Spending and Hoarding, says that most people start out stealing just a little bit, usually in reaction to some sort of emotional distress or as an act of rebellion. Right, something like being overdisciplined, abused, or even shamed. And psychologist Jeff Gardere said that, yeah, it could be a sign of emotional disturbance, lack of permanence in their lives, taking back power from a strictly disciplined childhood. So maybe this is just children. I mean, I have no idea why I did it. I had a perfectly normal childhood. I mean, relatively. Well, you stole once. I don't think that would be classified as close But, like, I don't know what compelled me to do it then. Right. Because I absolutely did not need it. It's not something I particularly wanted. It had no value to me. It was just like, it's there and I'm going to take it and it's going to be mine. But it sounds like that classic thing of of testing boundaries. Yeah. Just saying, I probably shouldn't do this, (laughs) but I'm going to do it anyway. I know. I was like, it was like a total cartoon moment of like shifty eyes looking around and grabbing it. I don't even know if my parents noticed. But yeah, I mean, it could just be that these children maybe for whatever reason feel a little out of control and are seeking to do something to sort of bring a sense of control back. But obviously, if the behavior continues and um, becomes a cycle in someone's life, there are treatments out there for it. Um, It's not uncommon for kleptomania to be treated with antidepressants, mood stabilizers, anti-seizure medications, or addiction medications, depending on what the comorbidity is. Because usually, kleptomania isn't just existing in a silo. There are other things that are going on as well which is also why, in addition to medication, psychotherapy is also used pretty often. Right. But so, you know, we've talked about the the symptoms and and what kleptomania kind of almost forces you to do and how that diagnosis came about and how it was used to defend people. 
But nowadays, it's really not that great of a legal defense because it's kind of just not taken that seriously. Yeah, I mean, we should note that kleptomania has only been intermittently recognized by the American Psychiatric Association that publishes the DSM, which is the, you know, the the Bible, as it's often called, of mental illness. It's only been recognized off and on since the 1950s. And in 1962, it was listed in the DSM as a supplementary term, not a primary diagnosis. Then in 68, it was omitted altogether. And then in 1980, it was reintroduced as an impulse control disorder. So yeah, in light of all that, there is a question of whether kleptomania is a unique mental disorder that people suffer from, since it often does co-occur with other psychological disorders like addiction, eating disorder, and depression. And it seems like what kleptomania experts are trying to figure out at this point is kind of what goes along with it. Uh, Because Terrence Shulman, who I referenced earlier, talks about how, you know, stealing can become addictive for many people as it mimics addiction to other negative behaviors like gambling. But the kleptomania by itself shouldn't be seen as an addiction. It's more, he says, the feelings that cause people to act out and do it. That's what should be diagnosed, such as underlying anxiety, depression, compulsion, and OCD. Right. So as far as legal defenses go, I mean, kleptomania just doesn't seem like it would get you very far. Well, and I wonder, once you start looking back at the roots of the term and how it came about as really a safety net for middle-class women to keep them out of prisons and also tying in with that these antiquated Victorian notions that women were simply inferior and a a lot of female affliction, in quotes, was often just linked back to some form of hysteria, dealing with either sexual repression or us not being able to have a baby in our arms so that we wouldn't be able to steal lace or something like that. I wonder, too, though, and this is a, a question for any experts out there, whether it's even a term that should exist at all. I mean, it's obviously an impulse control problem. It's a it's a disorder, but I feel like the term has become is so has such a loaded and mm-hmm. I- incorrect history. Right. Like, I mean, like it obviously seems more like a subtype of impulse. Well, it is. It's a subtype of impulse control disorder. But maybe you should just say that person has an impulse control disorder that causes them to steal or to gamble, or to pull their hair out. And kind of on the reverse of this, um, I think it seems like a lot more attention needs to be paid to that potential gender bias that if a woman is caught stealing, she's a lot more likely to be psychiatrically evaluated. So why why don't we offer the same thing to men? Yeah. Because obviously it's it's probably happening for them as well. It, it could just be like that division between middle class women and poor women in 19th century England. Well, and that's I mean, that gets into a whole conversation about how we view who a criminal is. Right. We just assume men are doing things maliciously, that they're committing crimes, whereas, oh, well, that woman must be mentally ill. Yeah. Or she, you know, it can't be helped in some way because mm-hmm. she must be driven because of destitution or she has mouths to feed or something like that. So it's funny, like as I was reading these these historical perspectives on kleptomania, my, my overarching thought was, oh, good. So women couldn't even have agency in their own crimes. That's good. 
So basically, we're arguing for the, the, the hammer of the law to come down harder on women. No, no. Well, as always, uh, interested to hear from listeners. Um, if you have experienced kleptomania, if it's something that you deal with, definitely let us know. We'll, we will protect your anonymity, um, but I, I would be curious to know if any of this jives with um, someone's experience with it. Um, and also, I hope that those historical tidbits about kleptomania and Jane Austen's aunt, I hope those were, were, that was as fun for you to learn as it was for me and Caroline to learn. So send us your thoughts about kleptomania, shoplifting thievery, the bling ring. Has anybody seen it? I want to see it. Uh, you can send your emails to momstuffatdiscovery.com or you can tweet us at momstuffpodcast. Or, of course, you can send us a message on Facebook as well. And we've got a couple of messages to read when we get back from a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And now back to some letters. Kristen, here is one from Amanda. Uh, She says, I loved your podcast on seeing through glasses stereotypes because I am the poster child for dateless nearsightedness. My sister, however, who needs no such help with her vision, has had no such trouble. No complaints here, though. True to your findings, I am more often stereotyped as intelligent-looking and more capable than my glasses-less friends. Next time a guy catches my eye, I suppose I'll ditch my frames for contacts, though I'm still holding out for a saintly male who can see worth even in those cursed with horrible vision. Amanda, don't ditch your glasses for boys. You do what makes you happy slash able to see. Men will make passes at girls who wear glasses. 
Uh, well, I've got one here from Michelle, and the subject line is, douching can be fun. <laughs> Not. <laughs> she writes, and, and just, uh, just a warning out there, she's about to talk about vaginas. So here we go. Michelle says, hello there. Oh, how I wish I had found your podcast a month ago. I could have saved myself a lot of uncomfortable times. I just found you guys this past week and have been listening to some podcasts from way back when, including one on douching. My mom was supremely uncomfortable taking me just to buy bras, so of course asking her about douching was way out of the question. So I found out about it through my husband. I had a discharge that smelled a little iffy for a couple days, and we couldn't afford a trip to the doctor's office. Asking my mom for advice was not going to happen, but thankfully, his family dynamics are very different than mine, and he had no problem asking his mom. She recommended douching. She's been doing it all of her life to counter her frequent urinary tract infections. So having no idea whatsoever what I was getting into, I decided to douche. Lo and behold, two days later, I was blessed with my very first urinary tract infection. While chugging cranberry juice, I decided to finally research douching and found the same results that you guys reported. Never again will I try anything involving my body without some extra research. Michelle, I'm so sorry to hear that you had to go through with that. And as I was reading the email and the note about how uh, your mother-in-law has douched all of her life to counter her frequent urinary tract infections... I think I know why she gets frequent <laughs> urinary tract infections. Yeah, I think a single trip to the doctor for a diagnosis, maybe some antibiotics, get get a nice checkup and a pap smear. Like, let's not... Well, as she notes, though, uh, you know, she couldn't afford a trip to a doctor's No, I'm office. talking about her mother-in-law. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm saying that, that that years-long cycle that her mother-in-law has been experiencing, like, why would you want to continue experiencing that? Well, because a lot, of, as we talked about in the podcast, a lot of... A lot of women don't know because their mother handed it down to them as a way to keep their vaginas clean. But as we have said often on this podcast, down with the douche. Yeah. Just say no to the douche, ladies. It, why it still exists, I it boggles my mind. Yeah. Um, but you're not alone, though. Uh, according to the U.S. Health and Human Services, 20 to 40% of women ages 20 to 50, I believe, still douche so break the cycle <laughs> break the cycle ladies and gents just just say no all right so that's it if you have any comments about douching kleptomania or anything else uh send us an email momstuffdiscovery.com is our email address you can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast you can like us on facebook send us a message there you can follow us on tumblr as well at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com and for a little bit of video fun we highly recommend that you head over to youtube.com slash stuff mom never told you watch some videos and subscribe for more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com this episode is brought to you by pnc bank who believes some things in life should be boring like banking because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank. Brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. 
Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions.